0: Good morning, church. You have your Bibles, and I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to talk about training for godliness. There is one maxim in the world that's called the Gladwell Rule, and uh, this rule simply states that with 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, you can become world-class in certain fields. Now, the, uh, the, the Gladwell rule really, really says in any field, but that's not true. But if you want to be world-class chess player, you need 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. That's all it takes. Not much. You got it. If you want to master the electric guitar like Nick Carl, then it's going to take 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. Now, not bad practice, but specific, skilled practice. So if you want to be good at something, you're going to have to practice. The average Olympic athlete will spend 25 hours a week just in training alone. And so if you want to be a world-class athlete, then you have to commit yourself to deliberate, specific, skill-oriented practice at least five hours a day. And you can take Sunday off, and it's fine, and we'll give you part of a day on Saturday, but you're going to have to, to practice. When I was coaching basketball, to kids, uh, players, they always wanted to come and get the key to the gym. That's back in the old days, and they wanted to go up and play. And, and Why do you guys want to go up and play? We're going to get better. I said, no, you're just going to go up there and practice bad habits without my supervision. That's all you're going to do. And it's going to make our practices doubly long because I got to undo all the bad things that you're doing. So it's not just any kind of practice. It has to be deliberate and it has to be skillful. So the point is, if you're going to be good at something, you're going to have to train. You're just going to have to discipline yourself and train. Now, obviously, some people have higher potential than others in certain arenas of life. I remember playing high school basketball and I had the, I'm going to call it privilege, of going up against a couple guys that eventually went to the NBA. They had a higher ceiling in more ways than one than I did. So just saying, and so some of you, if you put 10,000 hours into something, you're going to do better than others. But nonetheless, if you're going to be good at something, You have to put in the practice time. Sadly, it appears that many Christians think that advancing in godliness happens something like this. God will zap you at different times depending upon which conference that you go to. Or if you're involved in some really amped up, exciting event that has Jesus' name vaguely attached to it in some way. And so you, at that point, will experience the touch of God, the zap, the holy zap. Yes, amen. And you will leave there through no effort of your own, except for the $50 you paid for the conference cost you will leave there godly now sadly it wears off and you've got to re-up for conference two but many Christians that's their philosophy that growing in godliness really is a passive activity that you just happen to show up at the right place where God does the zapping others have the idea that godliness is simply by atmosphere Create a peaceful, kind atmosphere or be involved in that kind of atmosphere and it will make you godly. A good environment, a good home, a coffee shop where people don't cuss and swear. And if you'll just stay in those places, those safe zones then you will become a godly person automatically by just being in the right atmosphere. Those are the two basic strategies that people pursue. So this would be kind of like this on a, let's say, a, a, just a, a physical level. I want to be a, an Olympic weightlifter. So here's all I need to do. Go to the places where they talk about that, and I might get zapped with it. Or, just hang around the gym where other people are doing it. If I'll do those two things, surely, over time, I would become an Olympic caliber weightlifter. It's like one of my church members said, Pastor, I'm really having a struggle with my weight. What do I need to do? I said, well, you need to go to the gym. He said, well, I already have a membership at four. Well, bro, having the membership is one thing. Actually doing something with it is another. It's like a lot of church members, I know. I've got the membership, pastor, I know. But just having the membership at church is not going to turn you into a godly man unless you actually get busy and do something with it. So it's not a passive activity. This approach that people have to growing in godliness is similar to the mindset of those that Timothy was battling at Ephesus. Now they were not saying no effort, but their methods of godliness were certainly just simply this, modify your outward habits and you will be godly. It had nothing to do with, or they did not address anything pertaining to the heart. And godliness is first and foremost a heart matter. The environment may change because you behave better. But it does not make you godly nor does it cause inner transformation. Let's define godliness for a moment. This word refers to a preoccupation from the heart with holy and sacred things. It's a preoccupation from the heart or of the heart with holy and sacred realities. The result of the heart's preoccupation with that is a quality of life that shows outwardly from the heart the respect and honor that is due to God. Godliness does emit into an outward way of life to be sure. But it begins with a preoccupation of the heart with the things of God. When you are preoccupied from the heart with the things of God, the outward then follows suit. And then God receives the honor and the respect from your life that He deserves. Now the question is, how then do you become that kind of person? How do you pursue godliness? How do you obtain this goal? Of being a world class Christian. How do you get to that place or get on the road to going to that place of becoming godly? And the answer is really this train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Brothers and sisters, this thing of becoming like Christ and reflecting the life of God from your life. Is a training issue. I never coached anyone that loved practice. I loved it because when I was coaching, I hated it when I played, but I loved it because I could torture them. But nobody really loved practice. They didn't like practice much. Why? Because they didn't have a vision for the change. When you get a vision for the change, then what happens is you begin to love it. When you realize that that's where you find out if you have a heart for the sport is whether or not you'll practice for it. You have to practice. We used to tell our kids this. What's your passion? Get on that and get busy with it. You need to figure that out. What is it your pa- We don't care what it is. As long as it's moral and it's godly, we don't care what it is. We're not trying to coach you to be an astronaut. We're not going to coach you to be a president of the United States. We're not trying to coach you to be a, a basketball player. We're not trying to coach you to be a violinist. We just want you to find a passion, how God has made you, and then we'll fan that flame. But you're going to have to figure that out. Well, what happens is when you begin to pursue godliness, you begin to have a passion for God. And as you have a passion for God, you are willing to do the training that is necessary in order to become more like Him. Godliness is a heart matter. Athletes do not become world-class when they don't have a heart for it. And in the same way, you as a Christian, you cannot become godly if you just don't have a heart for it. So one of the things that maybe is foundational right now where you are, maybe you just need to start praying, Lord, give me a heart for godliness. Give me a heart to become like Jesus. Give me a heart that I'm willing to train for the purpose of godliness. Well, let's talk about this thing, godliness. And so uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, here's what I want us to do. Uh, We're going to focus on uh, the pursuit of godliness. Now, uh, what we're addressing in this sermon is your soul. And you'll notice that what we're going to do, if you think about this for a moment, uh, we're going to talk about your mind, and we're going to talk about your will, and we're going to talk about your affections. What you love. Those three arenas of your soul, those three aspects of your soul, they have to be touched in order for you to pursue godliness. So let's first of all focus on the pursuit of godliness. This is a mind issue. Focus your mind. Verse 6 of chapter 4. Paul said to Timothy as a pastor, he said, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Focusing on the pursuit of godliness. Now how do you do so? He says by being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. The foundation of godliness is focus. You have to focus on the pursuit of godliness. This must become your focus, and your passion. Now, what do you focus on? How do you do this? He says, you pursue godliness and you focus on it by learning sound doctrine in the words of faith and of good doctrine. He says, being trained in these things. Being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Too many Christians today are so stinking lazy. They think that sound doctrine is something that's peripheral to their christian walk they do not realize as the bible says it is foundational now brothers and sisters i I am not a, a, a televangelist i'm preaching to my church and so when you attend this building i'm preaching to my church if I say some things that offend your sensibilities about other groups that don't take the words of faith and good doctrine as the foundation for godliness, I am not sorry. You just have to learn to stink and deal with it. We have, we have gone on in this country trying to placate everybody and be easy with everybody and not hurt anybody's feelings. And I wonder when we're going to get worried about when we hurt Jesus' feelings. About saying things about him that are not true. Or failing to say what is true. We have to say the truth. And if it just happens to call somebody out. It just calls them out. Too bad. I'm not here in this town to win a popular contest. In case you didn't know. You won't see my sign in anybody's yard. Learning sound doctrine. Being trained in it. The words being trained is an ongoing action as well. You have to continue. If if you're going to you're going to do something, say you're going to get involved, and in, and let's say you're going to in, in resistance training, you're going to do that. You know, honey, I got a, I got me a gym membership. I'm going to go down and lift. Good. I'm going to tell you something. It takes you about three weeks in order to move forward a little bit. It takes about two days to go backwards. You you have to continue to train. Going going to the gym one day a week for a month and think that you're going to look buff is just not workable, and many Christians approach their Christianity that way. I'm going to go to church one day for one hour. Well, for Pastor Tim, it's an hour and twenty minutes. I'm going to go, and that should be the whole godliness fix that I need. This isn't. I, I I'm just here to coach you up. I give you the foundational things. I coach you up. I shame you into it, embarrass you, prod you, drag you, whatever I need to do. But I'm trying to to goad you on to pursue godliness. That's my goal. And so you have to take hold of it. This is not a passive thing where you come in under my presence and boom, you become godly. It doesn't work that way. So you have to continually trained. This is an ongoing action. It's a constant focus. Now these words can also be translated, and some of you have this translation, being nourished up. And so it's the same kind of thing. It's an ongoing thing, being nourished up in this. You have to be nourished on the words of faith and of good doctrine. Do you know if a guy is going to compete, let's say, in bodybuilding, and he has to spend some money in order to do this. Do you know what he spends the money on? Do you know what he pays the big bucks for? Anybody can go online and copy the exercises that the bodybuilders are doing. Do you know what the big money's for? The nutritionist. You got to go out and get you a nutritionist that's going to get your diet plan and your meal plan exactly fine-tuned so that all the work that you were doing are doing in the gym that your body will properly respond to it if you don't think this is true ask the university of alabama they just spent 15 million dollars on a nutrition center for their athletes do you know why they're so good they eat well they have a maxim, all the good training in the world cannot overcome a bad diet. And as Christians, we have to realize this fact. You can't out-church bad doctrine that you feast on all the time. You, you can't outdo it. You can't come in here and out-sing and outpraise all the bad nutrition that you take in. You will never grow in godliness on Joyce Meyer. You're not going to. You're not going to grow in godliness on Sarah Young. You are going to have to have a heart preoccupation with God. And that will produce a life honoring, a life that honors God but it will never produce that in your life until you change your diet you must put into your spiritual life what you expect to come out of it you must train yourself you must get your diet right so much damage has been done to Christianity in our day by pastors who are allergic to the study they have no appetite for sound doctrine. Instead, they have become venue facilitators and caretakers. The very commodity that can heal the people of God and save the world is traded in for crowd-pleasing sideshows and pop culture admiration. May God have mercy on their souls. Afraid to stand up to a crowd of people and say, Thus saith the Lord... That is what heals your souls. And so you have to learn sound doctrine. Learn it. Live it. And that's where Paul says to Timothy, Live this out then. How do you focus on the pursuit of godliness? By learning sound doctrine. That's your foundation. But then you must live it out. By living it out, by living sound doctrine. He says about him, which you have followed. Do you see those words? Being nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. The tense here is a perfect tense. And so what it means is that in some point in time in the past, Timothy decided, I am going to follow this. And because he made that decision in the past, it is an ongoing reality in his life that he's never turned from. He made a decision, he's never turned from it. He's going to follow sound doctrine. And the word here really means followed closely. Now there are some people that are students by nature. They just like to study. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. That's, some people are more inclined to that. You have to be careful that you don't become a student and never a practitioner. We can study all the methods of personal evangelism that you want to study. I know a a vast variety of them. And so most of them that I know, they, they have some good elements to them. But I want to tell you something. There's nothing like just practicing. Just telling people, this is who Jesus is. Would you like to know Him? You have to practice it. We can have prayer conference after prayer conference after prayer conference. But if you don't pray, what difference does it make? I can show you how to study the Word of God, but if you're not going to study it, what difference does it make to know how? I would submit to you, you've got plenty of skills. By the way, if you're a member of my church, you have better theological training than most of the pastors in the world. You've got plenty, but you've got to do something with it. And so here we have Timothy saying he followed, he's going to follow it closely. He's already been doing it, Paul says. Paul kind of throws him a bone here and says, okay, you've already decided, you've been doing this, but my encouragement to you is to keep on doing it. So the one thing, Timothy, that you're going to have to focus on, see, Timothy is dealing with all of this stuff, all of these false teachings, the teachings of demons and so on that we have studied about already, and all of the misunderstanding about what is leadership in the local church and so on and so forth. What does Paul say? What do you do about that? Does Paul say, listen, you need to spend some hours studying uh, what they teach and how they teach it and what it means and how you can combat it. No, he doesn't say that. You know what he says to study? He says you need to nourish yourself up and strengthen yourself up on a steady diet of the faith and sound doctrine. And then you need to take that and you need to follow it. Dear Christian, you know here that at, at our church sometimes I'll, I'll explain to you some things about Islam. This is how it works. We've been talking about here for the last little bit, how, what about you know critical race theory and how does that work and what kind of philosophy is that and what does it mean. And I think it's good for the people of God to be informed. But at the same time, don't get bogged down in all of that. Some of you have a penchant for apologetics. I used to be uh, much more inclined to that. And then you find out that there really is just one system that you have to fight against. It's called Satan. And it's called sin. It just emits itself and reveals itself in different methods. But it's the same old thing. It's the Garden of Eden over and over again. So what do you need to do instead? Don't get so amped up and so excited about apologetics that you fail to build yourself up and nourish yourself on sound doctrine of the faith. That will help you. People who are trying to find counterfeit money, they don't have to know all the different kinds of counterfeiting. They have to know what real money feels like. And so you as a Christian, you need to know the truth and then you will easily be able to spot falsehood. So nourish yourself up on the faith. Now, so that's your mind. Focus on a pursuit of godliness. How do you do that? By learning sound doctrine and by living sound doctrine. Just those two things. So focus on that. Now, next he says, now choose. You have to choose. In your mind, you're like, this is what I need to be doing. But it never, it, it never goes anywhere unless you choose. And so now you've got to choose. You have to choose the priority of godliness. You you have to, in your life, decide what is the priority. The priority in your life, the priority pursuit, the first pursuit above all things is godliness. Now look in verses 7 through 9. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. He's talking about those things that were talked about before about, hey, if you'll just stop eating certain kinds of foods, and if you'll tell people not to get married, and, and do some things to de- deny yourself physically, that will turn you into the kind of person that you want to be, and Paul calls that stuff silly myths. Why does he call it a silly myth? Because he knows that foundationally what's wrong with people is an inner problem. It's a heart problem, and it's not addressing the heart. And so he said, that stuff's a myth. Okay, it's a myth. So instead of that, he said, instead of doing that, have nothing to do with those things. Rather do this, train yourself for godliness. Okay, train yourself toward the goal of godliness. Or train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Here's the reason why. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance you know what Paul is saying I swear to you this is the truth train yourself for godliness why because it has applicability in this life and in the life to come so Choose the priority of godliness. Why? Godliness because godliness is valuable presently. It holds promise for the present life. Being preoccupied with God and living honorably to Him will save your marriage. You see, some of you are looking for five strategies to make your marriage heaven. Five things that you can do. And if you'll do those things, it will turn everything around. Let me ask you this question. How will that change the heart of your spouse? It cannot. You see, the problem that you have is a heart problem if you will pursue godliness and if your spouse will pursue godliness it will fix your marriage period all the hours of counseling that you could possibly ever go spend hundreds of dollars on it make 28 appointments with me in three hours at a time and let me just tell you the one thing you need to do train yourself for godliness just do that well how does that work but you don't need to know how it works It has benefit, the Bible says. It holds promise for the present life, for the here and now. Godliness will raise your kids. So, I I need some strategies on raising my kids. Well, go back to the nursery rhyme, old mother Hubbard, and that'll help you. Whip them all soundly and send them to bed. That's still good advice. So you know you you're, you're worrying for some kind of trick that we could you know we'll give you a trick you can do and no train yourself for godliness. If you have a godly dad in the home, it'll make all the difference in the world. It'll make it'll 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 change it'll change. Now listen, it doesn't mean there are no trials. It doesn't mean there are no difficulties. It doesn't mean that that your kids are just gonna walk the line for Jesus just like they ought to. It Doesn't mean that, but it does mean. That if you will pursue godliness, you will have done what you should do in that situation. It'll give you peace. I've never known anybody that pursued godliness and said, Boy, I'm sorry I did that. There'll be no regrets. It'll make you respectable. You'll at least be able to respect yourself. Even your enemies that hate you respect you. If you honestly pursue godliness. It will take away all the regrets from your life, it'll give you every reason to be content with the life that you have. Godliness will make you a great neighbor. Godliness builds a great society by the way. The number one problem with our own nation today is that we're pursuing everything but godliness. There used to be a time in our nation that even if you were a pagan you respected godliness. You knew that that was the right way. Even if you choose not to go that way, you knew that it was the right way. In our day and time, godliness is considered the enemy. No wonder society is coming apart at the seams. But you, dear Christian, pursue godliness. They they hand out no trophies at Uniota for godliness, by the way. Students, Ohio University, they're... There's no class for godliness. There are no teachers that are going to stand up at the beginning of class and say, Well, I'm going to let you know my first and foremost credential is godliness. You're not going to go down to Gladfelter or whatever its present name is until next year. And the foreman gather all, everybody around and say, Guys, above all things on this shift, I want godliness. It's not going to happen. But dear Christian, it is your mandate. Pursue godliness. Train yourself for the purpose of godliness because it has valuability in this present life it makes you the person that you ought to be. 2nd Peter uh, chapter 1 verses 4 through 9 talk about faithfulness that comes through this. When you pursue godliness, faithfulness and fruitfulness, assurance of your own salvation is a result. If you're pursuing godliness, you're constantly assured that you really do belong to Christ Jesus. Godliness gives you endurance under trials. Godliness gives you so many other blessings in this present life. And so it's worth pursuing because it's valuable in the here and now. But also choose godliness because godliness is valuable eternally. And he says also for the life to come. Godliness is an attitude and it's an action that will be applied for all of eternity. There will never be a time in eternity in which God says, Hey, everybody's cool. You don't have to be godly today. Godliness, that is the pursuit of God with a heart affection. Constantly seeking to please him and to honor him with your life is something that will be applied throughout all of eternity. Let me tell you what is not going to be applied throughout eternity. What your kid does on the softball field, not applicable. Whether your kid graduates valedictorian or not, not applicable. Whether your kid graduates first in their class, not applicable. Whether your kid is a world class violinist, not applicable. All of the things that you think are so doggone important that you're giving everything that you've got, all of your time, all of your money, all of your affection, all of your life to, let me tell you something, it has absolutely no applicability to eternity. There is one thing that you can do in your family and in your life that applies for all of eternity, and that is this, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. That applies forever. Are you teaching your children to pursue that which applies forever? My poor little staff, they, 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 they bless their hearts. They, uh, they endure a lot. And uh, so like this past week, you know, both of those guys are great family guys, great husbands and great fathers, which is a requirement to be in the ministry. And they both do a great job. And they love their families. They have precious families. It just makes me smile every time I see them. Good guys. But I told them. I said, listen guys. All the pagans are yelling and screaming. We need family time. Everybody wants family time. Everybody, You know what family time is to them? To all these people. It's leisure. To do whatever I want to do. That's fine. But, but you. You. Your family time is not about you just building bird houses. And. Planting flowers and checking out what kind of birds are in the trees. Your family time is for the purpose of pursuing godliness. That's what the world does not do. The good daddies out there in the world yes, they attend the baseball games, and yes, they go to the basketball games, and yes, they're at the concert, and yes, they cheer their kids on in 4 H, and yes, they're there when their kids do a project at the Ross County Fair. But that's not what God has in mind for us. If you want to do those things, that's great. It's part of building a relationship. It's great. But it's not the purpose. The purpose is that you help your kid learn how to pursue godliness. To train themselves up for the purpose of godly living. Are you doing that? You might have to cancel some other things in order to have enough time to do that. The only thing some of you are living for is that you... Have your feelings hurt because your parents didn't attend every one of your sporting events. And so the only goal that you have in life is to make sure that you're there at every sporting event. And you feel like that if you've done that, you've been a great father, baloney. That that is not it at all. Now, you certainly want to build relationship with your kids. And you want your kids to know that you approve of them. And that you support them. But you know what? Sometimes daddy just got to be at work at the factory to bring in the money so they can have bread to eat. Sometimes that's just the way life is. But you know what you've got? You must do, Christian dad. What you must do is train them for the purpose of godliness. You must do that. You have to do it. And say, Pastor, I, man, I'm working 12s right now. That's fine. Hour 13, train them. For the purpose of godliness. You never be too tired for that. You never be too exhausted. Don't ever let it go. Train them. Why? Because it's valuable both here and in eternity. Now, so verse 10 says this. If we're, if we're thinking about this with our minds, we want to focus on the, per, on the pursuit of godliness. And then we want to take that and say, well, we've got to make a choice. If this is what the reality is, I, I need to make a choice here. So I have to choose this as a priority. Whatever is the priority, that's what gets the nod in every situation. So I'm choosing this as a priority for my life and for the life of my family. Then you have to live by that. This is the will of it. Now you've made the choice. You've thought about it. You've made the choice. Now you've you've got to live it out. You've got to grind this thing out. And so you live by the passion for godliness. Living it out is not just grabbing yourself up by your bootstraps and say, Man, i got to be godly. There's a passion that must be ignited in your heart. And so verse 10, here's where the passion for this comes from. The passion can't come from, I want a better family, or I want to be a better man, or I want to be a better woman, or it will be better for our society, or it's better for my neighborhood, it's better for my community. That passion is unworthy of this goal. Here's where the passion for this comes from. Verse 10, Paul said, For to this end, what, what end? The, the pursuit of godliness. For this end, we toil and strive because we have set our hope. We have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe." The passion for godliness. There is the exertion that comes from it. When you have a passion for godliness. You exert yourself for it. He says we toil and strive. The word toil here means. To labor to the point of exhaustion. If someone is not going to labor to the point of exhaustion. They can expect to have a mediocre walk with Christ. Is that what you're shooting for? Just respectable, yeah, permissible, it's a passable, I've got kind of a passable walk with Christ. It's okay. You know, most people would respect it as pretty good. Is that what your goal is? I, mean, I was playing basketball in high school and we were up by a pretty good margin. And uh, I'm still pouring them in. The coach calls time and I said, hey, man you know we're up by 30 you know it's fourth quarter i said it makes no difference to me coach if i'm in it's going up he took me out but there's no time to to worry about what are the circumstances you're going to pursue this and keep going to the point of exhaustion give everything you got till there's nothing left to give and he said strive, and it's the, the Greek word, we, we it's similar to agonize. To agonize, it's from the Greek games. You put forth strenuous and painful effort. Now, I grew up on a farm, most of y'all knew that. Just the other day, we were watching, uh, my wife and I were watching a movie, and got the women up at 4 a.m. to milk, and all of a sudden, to milk the cows, and she's, wife said, like what did you do that? I said, yes, ma'am. I did that. My day started at four a m still have nightmares about that, so I grew up on a farm, and I used to work night and day i never I never got home from school and said, Dad, do you have anything for me to do <laughs> there was no uh, you you did not you, here's you did not get home from school and go sit down, or he would make sure that your backside could not sit down. You just you don't sit down. There's no time to sit down. I remember as a kid, either standing up or laying down. Those are the two, you know, that's it. There's no sitting down. My mom would fix me a couple of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches so I wouldn't starve, and you get back out there and work. And a lot of times I had it in my hand going out to work. So you work night and day. But I remember this. I remember putting up hay all day long. As soon as it was dry until it was dark. And that was back in the day when you did hay bales and you actually threw the stuff and put it up in the loft and all that. And I can remember that. And I can remember going home at, at night after dark and being just worn out. And you know what you do with that kind of tired? It's a good tired. You sleep. It actually feels kind of good. You're exhausted. Many of you do manual labor as your job. And it's exhausting. And you get home and you're tired. But brother, I want to tell you something. It's a good tired. I've been on that side of the fence and it's a good tired. Let me tell you about the ministry. It's a bad tired. It's an an ugly tired. The ministry is a never-ending wrestling match. You wrestle in your sleep. You wrestle in your dreams. You wrestle when you get up in the morning. You wrestle every time that you eat. You carry the burden and the struggles of your people everywhere you go. The disappointments are many. The victories are few the grief of those who are in your community who depart this world without Christ and they make that irreversible fate their own. You stand to preach stretched between two worlds, between the white heart beating heart of God while the hearts of the people languish in ice cold cares of this world. There are no words that can describe the strength That is needed. If you don't constantly train preacher. You will be dragged into the canyon of exhaustion. Or you will be toppled off of the cliff of despair. You'll go sell insurance. You'll go sell used cars. You'll do something else. Because it is absolutely exhausting. So there's only one solution. You better train yourself for godliness. You better constantly train train. If you fail to train, you will die. It is the only means of survival. Dear Christian, you are called to exert yourself for that same purpose. Your arena is different. Your circumstances are different. Where you go and where you trod is different from me. But at the same time, You are also called to exert yourself, to toil, to labor, to strive for this purpose. For the purpose of godliness in your life. What do you expect from it? The expectation that we have is what fires the passion for it. And Paul said his expectation is this. We have our hope. The word hope there means our expectation, our anticipation set on the living God. Here's what was set in Paul's life. Like concrete. This is set. This is an unchangeable. This is never going to change in his life. What he has set is his hope, his anticipation on the living God. What is it he was thinking about? two things. One as a Christian we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he or she has done in this body. Paul was looking forward to the day and had it in his mind's eye that he must stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account, an account For what one has done in this body. Let me let let you in on something. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus. Goes to heaven. But the welcome is not the same for everybody. For some it's going to be well done. Good and faithful servant. For others it's just going to be well. Because you have not trained yourself for the purpose of godliness. Why don't you do that? Because your hope, your anticipation is not set upon that day. You're not fixated on that day when you have to stand before your Savior and give an account for what you did in this body. Now think about what we've done this past week. Just if you can think about your calendar for just a moment. What on your calendar, what that you did last week when you stand before Jesus on that day will not be thrown in the garbage? What what is it that, that as the scripture calls it, wood, hay, and stubble that's just going to be burned up? What is it that will not be? What did you do last week that Jesus on that day will be able to say, Yes, that gets my approval. Well done. That gets my... Are there two things that you could even mention? Or three? Do you know why you're so out of balance? Because you don't have your hope set on the living God. You're going to have to set your anticipation. What you're looking forward to, what thrills you, what stirs you up, you're going to have to set your hope on that your anticipation on that, you're going to have to be looking to a city whose builder and maker is God Himself. And until you start looking to that and not here on this earth for your thrills, but you look to Him for that, then you will never pursue godliness because you'll never have a passion for it. So, the exertion that comes is a result of the expectation that you have. But there's another expectation that we have. That God is the Savior. And we know that God works through godliness in order to touch the lives of others to bring them into the kingdom of God. I was talking with a, a friend just yesterday and they were talking about how long it takes before your influence as a Christian has an impact on somebody's life. And my wife and I were saying, I think it took 20 years before it actually took in her family that Jesus was real to us. 20 years. I mean, I was a patient man. I thought five ought to get it. 20 years before we began to see fruit. What, what is it they were looking for? God, Not perfection, but glimpses of God in our lives. Not perfection. We can't produce perfection. But we can produce, produce godliness if we pursue it and the power of God is at work in us. We know God is the Savior. Now, there's some of you right now, you're like, oh boy, uh, Pastor, you need to fix the Scripture. It says, who is the Savior of all people? Uh-oh, do suddenly we believe in universalism? That God saves everybody after all? He's a Savior of all people. Some of you go out here quoting that as your proof text with no context, which just means it's falsehood. He's a Savior of all people. The word savior is used different ways in scripture. You know that. And so in this situation, what we're looking at is when he says he's the savior of all people, means he's the preserver. God says to us that he blesses with his grace, his general grace, everybody. When uh, when the farmer needs rain in Ross County, God doesn't go around and go, I'm going to give rain to the Christian ones and non-Christian ones. They ain't getting no rain this year. It gets rain to everybody. When we need some sunshine, everybody gets it. Evil and good. So God is the preserver of his world. He's the savior of his world in that way. In no way does this hint that God saves everybody. If it did, it would be contradicting the rest of Scripture. And certainly Paul was aware of the rest of Scripture, wouldn't you think? So it can't mean that. And so then we have these words, especially. And so when you have the word especially there, then he switches gears and he's really speaking of now, specifically, eternally, those who believe. So God acts as a preserver, if you will, savior of his world to all people. But he only saves for eternity those who believe. If you are here and you're depending upon the goodness and kindness of God that you're seeing now to continue for you throughout all of eternity while you still continue your stance against him and your disbelief in Jesus and your unwillingness to submit to him, I do have news for you. His goodness and kindness and graciousness will run out at your death and you will be in hell for all of eternity. Do not mistake the goodness and kindness of God in the present life as something that's going to continue for you for eternity without Christ because it will not. God is showing you and giving you a glimpse of how kind He can be to you. But if you insist upon your enmity against Him and rejecting His Son, He will withdraw that grace, He will withdraw that goodness, and you will be under His wrath for the rest of eternity. The good news is this, there is a way of escape. The good news is, if you will turn away from sinfulness and sin and quit letting that be the ruling agent in your life, stop trying to earn God's reward by your own good works and realize that you are the lowest of sinners that walks this earth you must recognize that you yourself are probably the worst sinner in all of Ross County. There could not possibly be anybody that's a worse sinner than you. You. Not the person next to you, but you. That you are a God-awful, God-hating, Godless sinner. But Christ, if you will come to Him, He has died for your sins. And you will be forgiven, and you will be given eternal life if you will follow him. That's what he offers to you. And you can be in the category not of the first savior of all, but the especially category of those who believe. What should you do with this? If you're already a follower of Jesus, devoted follower of Jesus... Get this. You're going to have to train. That sounds hard. It is hard. That sounds like a long time. It is all of your life. Every day. Pastor, I don't know how to train. Well, that's great. I'm a pastor. You can also call me your trainer. I know how to tell you how to train. Isn't that a great thing? Isn't it great how God brought us together like this? It's amazing. Train yourself, purpose of godliness. Let me, let, me, let me help you. Let me give you a free one right now. Are you ready? That y'all are just here today as part of your training. Part of being successful in training is showing up. You got that. You did it. Secondly, God uses the Lord's Supper as part of your training to train your heart toward godliness. He's going to inch you a little bit further into your affection for Jesus just through the Lord's Supper. Look how y'all are winning already. You know something else he does? He uses the preached word like nothing else. The word preached over you. You think, I'm not getting anything out of this preacher. I, I'm not. Yes, you are. You don't know it, but you are. And he uses that for training for your heart. And training you toward godliness. You're learning the scripture. You're learning the doctrine of the faith. You're learning it little by little. And so, there you are. You, you're, you're, look at you people. Training. Y'all should have worn your sweats today. You're training like crazy. Some of you, and most of you, I imagine, went to, to Bible study this morning as well. You say, Well, my teacher's not very good. We know that already. I know all of them. Actually, in reality, we, we have some pretty good teachers here. We really do. I mean, it's it's, it's pretty it's pretty amazing, actually. And I'm thinking, man, we we got some we got some good, we got some people who's got it going on. And so we have some, some really, really great teachers imparting the Word of God and discussing that with you. Guess what? That's part of your training. Now, I, I don't want you to think that all of your training is to be done here at the training center. I'm a, you, you, you have to be like Pistol Pete. There's homework basketball. So you, you've got to take some of this home and you still have to train at home. And daddies, you've got to take your little team now and you've got to help train them. Bring them up. See, they're the little league. And so you got to do that for me. you got to bring them up. And so you're already doing some of those things. But, but I can just say, you you got to train for the purpose of godliness. If, there's, if you need some training exercises, I can help you with that. If you don't know how to do something, I can help you with that. But the effort has to be yours. I can't hold your hand. you got to do it. So, dear Christian, set your mind to this. Focus on it. Choose it. Live by it. This one thing. Train yourself for the purpose of of godliness. Now, what if you're not a follower of Jesus yet? What do you do? Okay, here's what I don't want you to do. Can I start with that? I don't want you to train yourself for godliness. Don't do it. I I don't want you doing the disciplines of training. I don't want you praying. I I don't want you doing anything. I, I don't want you in any shape, form, or fashion to think that you can make yourself acceptable to God. Because you can't. The problem with you is you're on the wrong team. Totally on the wrong team. So you can't help my team because you're on the wrong team. You can't help God's team because you're on the wrong team. We don't want you training. What we want you to do is change jerseys. We want you to come out of the kingdom of darkness... And come into the kingdom of light. We want you to punch Satan in the face. And we want you to walk away from him. And we want you to walk to Christ. We want you to trust upon his death for you in your place on the cross. To pay for your sins. We want you to believe in his resurrection over the grave, over sin, over death. And we want you to submit to him as your coach and Lord. That's what we want. And if you will do that, then we'll begin to help you train in godliness. But do not, whatever you do, do not mix up that order. Do not try this on your own. Do not try to become something that you cannot be. Do not try to become godly when you are continuing to live in a godless way. You first of all have to get God before you can become godly. You have to get Christ before you can get on the road to becoming Christ-like. If you mix up that order, it is damning. Do not mix up the order. So having said that, I will say to you, let's get the order right. Some of you today need to come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your patience with us. Lord God, I wish that we would pursue godliness like you intend for us to do. Help us, O Lord, work in our lives a passion for godliness that we may pursue it with all of our heart. Simply this, loving you because you love us so much. That is the heart of godliness, I pray. In Jesus' name.